0: I want to pick up this morning of where we started a few weeks ago and we're speaking about end time events. And uh, last week we uh, began and we titled the message Urgency and Understanding and today we're going to continue in that vein of, of talking about the answers that Jesus gave to his disciples about their questioning about the signs of the coming times, the end of the age. And you know it's important that we recognize that the disciples expected Signs. Why do you think that? Why why would the disciples ask Jesus to give signs of the end of the age? There must have been something there that they would expect him to give a sign. They asked the question, Matthew chapter 24, verse 3 As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said. When will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Now the, Testament, the Old Testament is full of signs. And the disciples were familiar with the Old Testament. They were expecting signs from God. They, they expected God to communicate them to them on a regular basis through signs and wonders and signs. Especially in the, in the stars. And God would speak to prophets and he would speak to people. The Holy Spirit would come upon individuals. It's only in our modern times do we seem to have a hard time with the fact that God still speaks to us. Something's happened since we've gotten technology or we've grown up in our technology and grown up in the ages that we're in that we have a hard time believing that God still wants to talk to us. Why is that, do you think? Do you think God wants to talk to you? Do you think he wants to communicate to you? Absolutely He does. God created man in His own image with the obvious intention of having communication with His creation. Why would He make you in His image if He didn't intend to talk to you? If He didn't intend to have communication with you? He made us in the image of God so that we, would, we then would have the ability to communicate with Him in spirit and in truth. Adam and Eve had daily facetime with God as they walked in the garden. God would come down in the cool of the day and they would walk and talk and have communi- communication in the garden face to face. And then after that, God spoke clearly to the prophets of old, Moses and a- Abraham and Elijah and David and, and, and all the other prophets. It was very obvious that God had a desire to speak to people. So if God set the world in motion in, with with communication in his mind, then I can a- assure you today that he still has that desire to communicate to us today. Why would he stop that level? Why would his desires change? They don't. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The question is: Are we seeking his communication? Are we seeking to have that level of understanding? It's really about us, not about God changing, but are we seeking to hear his voice? Or are we comfortable in what we think we know? We've got a comfort zone carved out of God's word that we're comfortable in, and so we're thinking, okay, we're good with that, and I don't want or need anymore because it makes me a little bit uncomfortable maybe. So today I'm wondering, are we watching for the signs? Are we clearly understanding the urgency Of the day around us. Last week we asked three questions relating to our level of urgency and understanding, and I want to bring them back up today. We asked number one, when we when we speak of eternity, because eternity is something that should be urgent in our in our mind. If I'm thinking about eternity, I should be urgent about my eternity, because it's going to last a long time, and I'm the only one responsible for it. You're not responsible for my eternity and I'm not responsible for yours. So I should be urgent and I should have as clear as, of an understanding as I possibly can over eternity. So the first question is, when does eternity begin for me? When does it begin? Second question, where will I spend it? Where will I spend eternity? And then thirdly, what do I do now about it? How am I preparing myself for the eternity that's ahead. So where are we at in these areas of urgency and understanding? Well, we're going to press in here a little bit. We're going to get into God's word about how we can look at eternity and how we can see the signs that God is clearly giving to us through the words of Jesus. Jesus spoke the words that we're going to be talking about next in Matthew 24. Now, Open your Bible, if you have it, open your Bible to matthew twenty four and hold your finger there because we 're going to spend quite a bit of time going through it uh, and Jesus broke down his conversations in different time segments here in this com- in this passage so it's, we 're trying to break it down in a logical manner that we can understand the time frame last week, we made it through the first section, beginning at Matthew chapter four or verse four through fourteen. And that describes the general signs and a summary of the key events leading up to the rapture and the pre-tribulation of where we're at today. Okay, that's Jesus started off there, started talking about the signs. We talked about that last week. Today we're going to pick up at verse 15. And this is now, Jesus is moving now from the pre-rapture, pre-tribulation time into the midpoint of the tribulation. So this, this, this section of verses, 15 through 28, now we are at the midpoint of the tribulation period and Jesus is talking about the things that are going to take place there for those that are in the tribulation period. The Bible does say that there will be those that are saved in the tribulation. I just can't tell you who they are. I know there's going to be 144,000 Jewish people for sure, but the Gentiles probably will have an opportunity as well. I just don't know if it's going to be anybody sitting in a church today. It could be somebody that doesn't have an opportunity. It could be somebody that's even, um, have their, come, their first knowledge of Christ comes after that. I, I don't know. So my point of all this, let's just make it simple. I want to go, when Christ comes back for the church, that's my desire. And I pray that's yours as well. All right go back to Matthew 24, verse 15 through 28, and this is going to indicate or mark the midpoint of the tribulation. When the rapture happens and the, there's a peace accord signed between the Antichrist and Israel, that starts the seven year period of tribulation. Midpoint three and a half, er, three and a half years in, we're going to see this point begin right now. And this is what Jesus is, is describing. So it's beginning at verse 15. So when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation, spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath, for then... There will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. Verse 22, If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. At that time, if anyone says to you, Look, here is the Messiah, or there he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you ahead of time. So if anyone tells you there he is out in the wilderness, do not go out or here he is in the inner rooms. Do not believe it. Verse 27, for as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever there is a carcass, there the vultures will gather. Let's just take a minute, let's pause, and let's ask the Lord to help us understand what's being said here. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name, and Lord, we need your wisdom we need your discernment. We need to have your thoughts on your words. So we just are open up, opening our hearts and minds now to hear that. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus is describing the mid-tribulation. And it's going to get from the mid-tribulation on to the next three and a half years. It's called the great tribulation. And it's going to be called the great tribulation because it is great tribulation. (laughs) It's going to be like nothing this world has ever seen. There's going to be calamities, there's going to be judgment, there's going to be uh, wrath of God is going to be poured out on mankind, and it's going to be horrific, and it's going to be undescribable. Thousands, hundreds of thousands of people will die. Most of the population, uh, um, it'll be beyond description. And even to the point it says that if these days would not have been cut short, no one would survive. It's that it's that bad, so Jesus is giving us that, and he's he's quoting now. He goes down and he tells us in um, a, a passage from Daniel. Jesus is actually quoting, and uh, he's talking about a Daniel um, prophecy in chapter nine, verse twenty-seven. He says, "Then he will confirm a covenant. Who is he? The Antichrist will confirm a covenant with many for one seven, and that is the, that's the peace accord." And then the, in the middle of that seven, which is the middle of the tribulation, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And at the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on them. So the, tri- the Antichrist comes and he has um, set up a, a, a peace accord. Halfway through it, he says, okay, it's time to end that nonsense. Now I'm going to tell you, I am, the, I am God. And he sets himself up in the temple. And he then says, worship me, I am God and that is the abomination that causes desolation where the uh, the man will set himself up in a position of God Larry throw up that timeline if you would I I put that up last week and we'll look at it again just so we understand where we're at in all this Um, this period right here the gentile age this is where we're at right now with that the rapture has not yet happened we're right here at some point in time the rapture is going to happen and then it's going to kick into the last seven years of the tribulation period. And then after that comes the millennial reign and so forth. The abomination of desolation is three and a half years in. And that's what Jesus is talking about in this passage. I Hopefully that gives you a time frame of kind of where we're at here. Because I don't want to confuse anybody. Scripture says that the Jewish temple prior to the abomination of desolation this, the, the Jewish temple will be rebuilt and Jews will actually conduct animal sacrifices again. There will be sacrifices in the temple. It's hard for us to understand that but that's what the Bible says. And up to that point in time the Antichrist has been playing along with the peace accord and he's been good with everything and uh, when that tribulation or when that mid tribulation point comes and he says I'm done, I'm done with the, play, the game that's when the enemy really steps it up And that's where it begins. And then that's all leading up to the final and second stage. We also talked last week that the return of Christ comes in two stages. The rapture, the taking away of the church, which is at this point here, that's stage one of the second coming of Christ. And then the second stage is when the Christ actually comes, and it's called the second coming of Christ, where Christ actually comes down and he comes back to earth physically. In the rapture, Jesus is in the clouds and us those that are saved and those that have died uh, in advance of this the graves will be open and those still alive will be caught up and we will meet christ in the clouds he will not touch ground he will not touch down at the sec- at the rapture and the world will not hear his voice just the trumpet will be heard by the, the saved ones the christians the true followers of christ the second coming is totally different second coming jesus actually touches down he actually comes down to earth and the whole earth sees him. We saw that in that that last passage. I just just go back to that and read it one more time. It says in verse 27 for as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the son of man. All men, all the world will see Jesus come back at the second coming. Let's go to Matthew chapter 24 uh, verses 29 through 31. And these This passage describes the spectacular signs that will come at the end of the great tribulation that will occur when Christ does come back the second time. And he does come in the the time when he will come in great glory and he will come to defeat the enemy. He will come to defeat Satan. Let's pick it up in verse 29 of Matthew chapter 24. It says, Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. Those are the people, those are the ones that... Uh, were saved during the tribulation period. He's, he's calling them all the elect, all those that are saved. He's calling them um, because he's going to destroy the rest. Verse 32. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it is near right at the door. Truly, I tell you, This generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. What this passage is trying to tell us is that at that point in time, times will be known. We've been given a very good time frame that at the point of abomination of desolation, 1,290 days or 1,260 days, three and a half years will take place, and you'll know that you can count the days from that point the second coming comes. So there will be clear signs in heaven. That's what he's talking about. The, twig, the, uh, the, the twigs get tender and the leaves come out, you know that summer is near. That's in the midpoint of the tribulation. Does that make sense? I'll be clear. Are we following this? Are we tracking with this? I don't want to lose anyone. These signs will mark Christ's second coming. And I, I want to just pause here for a minute because... We have a hard time, I think, in the Western society recognizing that God speaks through natural signs. Um, God created the heavens and the earth and all the stars and the moon and the sun. He created them and he has a plan for them. He set them in motion from the very beginning. Go to the very first chapter of Genesis. Genesis chapter 1 beginning at verse 14. And God said, Let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years. And let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God established at the very beginning of his creation that he was going to give signs of the end of the age through the stars and the moon and the sun back when he initially created everything. God is a planner. God had this set in motion with, before there was ever even sin in the world. He had it set that he was going to communicate to his creation through signs given through the stars and the universe. The, the problem here, or the thing that, that take note of, is that when the devil got involved and when he fell and he wanted to mess up God's creation, recognize that Satan is not a creator. Satan can create nothing. All Satan can do is take what God has created and twist it and manipulate it into something that is different than what God intended it to be, right? So all the signs that God has given, Satan now has twisting them so that we're not paying attention to them. Case in point, when Noah and the flood came, what did God place in the sky as a promise that he would never flood the world again? A rainbow, okay? What does a rainbow symbolize today? Gay rights. Gay rights. How they ha- how the, Satan has taken a sign that God created as a good thing, as a promise to us, and he's twisted it to be used by the LGBT agenda f- to um, promote lesbian and gay homosexual rights, right? Second sign that God gave us, he gave us the study of the stars. How, let me ask you a question. How did the wise men find Jesus? By following the star of Bethlehem. And we have no problem accepting that today. In fact, we sing songs about it, right? But yet... What has Satan done with the study of the stars? Astrology. And the zodiac. And horoscopes. So here, what God created as a way to communicate with us, the enemy has taken it and he's twisted it. So now whenever we think of stars and studying stars as signs, we think of, oh, that can't be good. That's an astrology thing. That's a zodiac thing. That's a horoscope. But, you know, God uses the signs to show his glory. The enemy twists it to show our glory because a horoscope is all about me. It's all about what's going to happen to me. But God's signs are all about what's going to happen to God and what God's displaying his glory. So just wanted to take that little caveat to know that we need to be watching and listening for the way that God communicates to us, and there's nothing wrong when we can study the stars to see God's timing of events. Now, that doesn't give us the ability to set agendas. And I'm not trying to set dates. I'm trying to use this as a way to create urgency in our hearts, in our lives, when, 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 we, see, when we see things lining up in the heavens, when we see the things that are happening all around us, when we see the earthquakes, and we see the, 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 all the disasters, the wars and rumors of wars, all I'm trying to say is, guys, we need to be urgent in our thinking. Again, I'm not saying that it's going to happen tomorrow, but I am saying that it's going to happen. And I am saying that we don't know when it's going to happen, so we better be prepared for it. God is trying to speak to us. I can't say that these hurricanes, Harvey and Irma uh, Irma and this earthquake, are, are, are a punishment. I can't say that, but I can say they're signs. I can say that God is clearly trying to say, Wake up, people. Wake up. I'm real, and I'm coming back. And I'm coming back for those that are awake. I'm coming back for those that are watching. Are we watching? That's all I'm trying to say. The second coming of Christ. The second coming of Christ. The second time he comes. I want to describe to you what he's coming like. Open your Bible to Roman, to Revelations. Revelations chapter 19. When Jesus comes back the second time as the second coming. The whole world will see Jesus this time. And he's not coming back as a baby. He's not coming back as a gentle king. He's coming back as a warrior. He's coming back as a God with revenge and, and, and a, a God with, um, with a purpose. Revelations chapter 19, verse, starting at verse 11. The revelator, John the revelator said, I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse. with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Verse 17, And I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair, Come, gather together for the great supper of God. So that you may eat the flesh of kings, generals, and the mighty of horses, and their riders, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, great and small. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to wage war against the rider on the horse and his army. But the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet who had performed the signs on its behalf. With these signs he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, and the rest were killed with the sword coming out of the mouth of the rider on the horse, and all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. Now, is that the Jesus that we think of when we think of Bethlehem? No. But that is the Jesus of the Bible. This is the Jesus that's coming back and that, who we've worshipped this morning. He is worthy of all of our worship because he is coming back as a just judge. And he is coming back at the right time to bring the glory that he deserves back. All right. Now, let's go back. Matthew 24. Now, beginning at verse 36, we see Jesus taking another time jump. Okay? Now we're coming back. This is where we need to focus our time today. I wanted to give you that information because that's information you need to have because that's the future. That's what's going to happen. How do we not become part of that? How do we be part of the great army that's coming back with Christ? Because those that were taken in the rapture will be coming back with Christ as the great army. But we will be there to watch his revenge. We will be there to watch him destroy Satan and the Antichrist. We will be able to witness it all, but we will be on the winning side. That's the most important thing you need to know. Now, Jesus has taken us back to verse 36, and now these verses are helping us understand today the signs that we're living in so that we can be assured that we're going to be on the winning side. All right, so now let's go back to the Bible, starting at verse 36. But, he says, But about that day or hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. What he's talking about here now is the rapture. What he's talking about here is the rapture of the church. He's not talking about his second coming anymore. He's gone back in time. This is pre-tribulation, pre-rapture. And what he's saying is, verse 37, As it was in the days of Noah... So it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage up to the day that Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. The that is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Pause for a minute. Do you see that happening today? Can you see, that as in the days of Noah, people were eating and drinking? Basically, there was great sin in the world because God had to wipe it out. It was really bad things happening. People were making bad choices in the days of Noah. Are we not making bad choices today? Isn't this culture twisted? Isn't the enemy done a really good job twisting all the goodness of God, making it evil? Yes, we are living as in the days of Noah. Continue on, verse 40. This is going to talk about the subtleness that, it's going to, that how it's going to happen. For those that aren't watching, for those that aren't waiting, for those that aren't anticipating the rapture, this is what's going to happen. Verse 40, Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with the handmill. One will be taken and the other left. Therefore, keep watch. Because you do not know what day your Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Verse 45. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds himself or finds him doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all of his possessions. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time. And he then begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him at an hour he is not aware of he will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When I look at these past these last few verses, that wicked servant who says to himself, my master is staying away a long time. Guys, that's happening all around us today. False teachers, false prophets. I don't know how many churches today are really trying to encourage people. I was at an event this week talking to some people that go to church. Not this church, but go to church. And we were talking about the hurricanes. We were talking about the earthquake. And it was just the other day, yesterday, in fact. And I made a comment. I said, man, you know, no, one of them said, it's almost like we're living in the end times. And I said, we are. We are. This is the end times. And they were so surprised and so discouraged by that. They said, wow, you just made my day. And I said, you know what? This is an exciting time to live. This is an exciting time to live. I wouldn't want to live in any other time. To know that I could be here when Jesus comes back, that I could be part of that raptured church, that's exciting. But what it led me to believe is whoever, wherever they go to church, their pastor is not talking about that. He's not bringing that sense of urgency to them. And that's, what he's, that's that wicked servant. I would not want to be a pastor or any other leader that is not talking about end-of-time events. Not because I want you to be afraid of it, but because I want you to be watching for it. Because I want you to be awake when it happens. Because I want you to be one of the few that are raptured up so that we can then be part of that victory army that's coming back. That's why we talk about this. There's not a better topic we could talk about other than the fact that Christ loves us so much. And he does love us. And this is all a good thing. But this is truly an indicator, a truly a warning, a call for all of us. Are we paying attention? Are we watching for the signs? Jackie, if you would come, I truly am not setting dates. I don't want you to think I'm even close to that. But I am seeing the signs and I am understanding the urgency of of the hour. And I hope this short study has helped make it clear that Jesus is coming back for his church and he is coming back to redeem the rest of creation. Where are our hearts this morning? Where are they? Hebrews chapter 10, 24 and 25. You want to know why church is so important? This is why. Why? This is why the fact that you're here today is so important. It says, the writer of Hebrews says, "...and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together." In other words, not giving up coming to church, not coming up being a part of the body of Christ. Verse 25, "...not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching." That day approaching is the rapture, so this is the time to be part of a local body. This is the time to be plugged into your church. This is the time to be to be hanging with Christian people. This is not the time to isolate yourself. This is not the time to go spin your own little religion and your own little thing because you don't because you get offended in a church. You get offended by people to do something. This is not the time to do that. The word's very clear. All the more as you see the day approaching. So where are we this morning? Do you see that your eternity beginning right now? In all honesty, your, your eternity begins right now? You're already in it. You're already in it. But where are you going to spend it? Where are you going to spend it? Now is the time. Now is the time to do something about it. Father, I just come to you in Jesus' name. And Lord, there is so much distraction, so much that we can get confused over. And Lord, I just pray that we are able to cut through all of the distraction and all the confusion. And that, Lord, that our hearts would be tuned to hear and our eyes would be open to see what is happening around us as a call for all of us to get our hearts ready for Christ's return. So, Father, I just invite you to bring conviction now conviction in a heart that may not be sure conviction in a heart that is questioning now is the day this is the day of salvation this morning if you have any doubts in your heart if you have any doubts of where you're going to spend your eternity today is the day to get it straight the lord is calling and I know we give altar calls a lot in this church but that's okay I'm going to to do it again because I don't want to risk any person sitting through one maybe in the past and say I'm going to do it later I'll tell you right this is later it's right now this morning if you have any trepidation would you just raise your hand to to the Lord right now all eyes are closed All eyes are closed. This is your opportunity to say, Jesus, I want to be sure. I want to be sure. Now, could I ask you all to come forward with me as we sing this last song? This morning, if we can pray with you, I want to spend the next few minutes and just assure you of your salvation. I want to assure you that Christ loves you enough and he wants you to know that he loves you enough. So we're going to sing and if you want to pray, would you just make your way up and I'd be happy to pray in Jesus' name. Till you come. Father, I just thank you for your assurance today. I thank you, Lord, that your blood covers our sin. And Lord, that we can know for sure today by just simply saying, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I repent. I repent of my sin today and I accept the blood of Christ on my life. And I want to be sure that I am included. And I want to be a child of God. And I want to live my life appropriately, Father. It doesn't mean I'm perfect, I'm going to make mistakes. But Lord, more importantly, I know that you forgive me over and over and over again as I come to to you. And so Father, I just declare your goodness and I just call out the blood of Christ to fall on us and to cover us and to free us and to forgive us and that we would forgive ourselves and that we would move into freedom, recognizing your great privilege of knowing you and knowing that you are preparing a place for us and that you are our soon coming King. I accept that. In Jesus' name, amen.